0: Welcome everyone to uh, episode 62 of the Ski Podcast. Today we're going to be tackling, sadly, lockdown and whether ski resorts are open in December. I wonder how long we'll be going on with this conversation. We're going to get some snow reports though. Uh, There has been skiing in Andama and team. Going to be chatting about the World Cup season coming up. Uh, Talking about ski touring and skiing in Scotland, which might be on people's cards for this winter. Uh, But firstly, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism, our sponsors, for continuing to uh, partner us through this winter, and also, listener, and all our listeners, I'd just like to thank you, because we've just passed 100,000 total listens since we first started doing the Ski Podcast. So thank you very much. And if this is your first one, there's 88 other episodes to catch up with during lockdown. Now, I've got two guests with me today. They are uh, Ed Drake who is presenter of the Ski Racing podcast. And you may know him from Ski Racing because he competed for Great Britain uh, in the Olympics and contates on Eurosport. Hi, Ed, how are
1: you? Uh, Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. And we've also got Katie Dartford, who is a freelance ski journalist who's based out in Lyon. How are you, Katie?
2: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad.
0: We'll come on to the the lockdown uh, chat shortly. But perhaps you could tell me, Ed, wh- when was the last time you went skiing and where was it?
1: The last time I went skiing would have been in Bormio, And that was, I think it was sort of around February half term, actually. I was commentating over at the English Championships and everything had just started kicking off with
0: the, the dreaded corona. And, yeah, uh, and Bormio was one of the key locations for it. Wasn't yeah, so it?
1: We, we were there and it was sort of umming and ahring whether we would travel to go but then it wasn't in that region at the time when we were there. So they, you know, we we decided to go and then I think a couple of weeks or a week or so after we left, it would, you know, it all inflamed and, and that was it. And then multiple trips cancelled at the end of the year. It seems like a lifetime ago that I had some skis on. Yeah. What about yourself, Katie? When were you last skiing?
2: Yeah, March the 8th. So literally the weekend before the whole lockdown in France came into play, it was... I remember because it was International Women's Day and we, me and just a friend of mine, girlfriend, um, we did a ski tour um, just above Saint-Lange, uh called the Cat Tet, uh, about one and a half thousand metres of climbing up. And yeah, it was really nice getting out of the Chamonix, which is my normal kind of place to go skiing. Um, did not think, obviously, for one minute it was going <laughs> to, that was going to be the end of it. Uh, I plan to go to Chamonix the next weekend and everything like that. So, yeah. But
0: so ski touring, my understanding is ski touring did continue uh, informally a little bit in France. I know perhaps people weren't meant to, but it was going on to start off with till uh, the local authorities tried to sort of crack down on it.
2: Yeah, I I think basically it just if you wanted to go and do it, I think people would just look down on you so much because there were lots of stories, you know, you're taking away, you know, if you have an accident, you're taking away, like helicopters helicopter's got to come and get you or something, all the vital health services needed for other people. So it's just basically you're just made to feel like you're so selfish if you dare to go ski touring. And then, I think yeah, Chamonix, I'm talking from Chamonix because that's the point of view I have the best knowledge of. Um, just, yeah, they were really cracking down, as you say. Yeah.
0: Yeah well uh, you're still in France now and uh, since the last podcast today is the 6th of November since our last podcast both the UK and France and Austria and many other countries around Europe uh, for that matter have gone into lockdown um you are in uh, Lyon at the moment what what I think your regulations are much more stringent than ours particularly in relation yeah. to to exercise what's the situation there do you want to explain it
2: yeah um we'll but basically, we're not meant to go out for more than an hour a day. Um, and you have to take a piece of paper or attestation on your phone saying you're either going shopping or you have to look after someone that you know needs care or, or just have a really good reason, basically. And you have to put the time that you go out. <laughs> um, obviously, I have as a journalist, I'm still going into the office. So I have an extra special attestation um, so I can go into Euronews. But um, that doesn't really apply to anyone else. You have an hour a day, you know. Oh, yes, and the other thing is only one kilometre. You're only allowed to go one kilometre, so you have to yeah. also program where you live.
0: Because <laughs> I know that you're a, you know, very keen uh, runner. You've done a whole bunch of different trail I, races. How are you dealing with that? With only being able to go a kilometre from home?
2: Well, I've got, um, I've got a bunch of routes from the last lockdown, like a little like. <laughs> circuits because I'm I'm lived near in between two rivers so I sort of across the bridge and back and round and also there's quite a few hills um up to cathedral and another little hill so I just tend to do a couple of circuits up there just to try and get the kind of climbing that I don't get norm like when I'm in Chamonix obviously you are thousands of meters of climbing yeah. and you really replicate that here very well but that's that's it really um I probably do push the 1k boundary a little bit to be honest but not not my much <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, hopefully hopefully, no one from the Prefecture is listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> i <I'd rather. laughs> um, And so, you know, France, UK are in lockdown. There has been some uh, skiing. Chavinia opened. I don't know, Ed, did you see those uh, photos? Chavinia was open for a couple of days, I think. Did you see the photos that led to
1: its uh, um, quick closure? Yeah, the lift queue lines and stuff. I think I saw those, those yeah. images you're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like... Everybody jumped. As soon as that opened, Greenlight was bound to happen. It's, you know, it was bound to happen.
0: It, I mean, it's it, it, when you think about it, there are have been other resorts that have been open for quite some time. Zermatt, Sassfey, uh, Austrian Glaciers. They perhaps should have anticipated that uh, the general public might turn up in big numbers. Because my understanding is that, you know, it looks really bad, but there's this huge snake. I'll post a, a copy of the photo in the show notes. This huge snake of people queuing up. But I think they're queuing up at the beginning of the day to collect the lift passes and to buy a lift pass. So it wasn't even for the actual lift? No, it's because, you know, they instead of doing perhaps what they should have done and asking everybody to buy their lift passes in advance. Is that how you understand it, Katie?
2: Yeah. I mean, I from what I gathered, people were being encouraged to buy everything online. They didn't this didn't happen. But you know, people leave it till last minute,
0: don't they? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it wouldn't have been many days longer before the uh, the tide had changed. Mm-hmm. But there are still uh, places that you can go skiing now. Verbier actually opened last weekend uh, for skiing, and we've got a snow report coming up from uh, Andermat. Um, Charlie Reese, who reported from us uh, for us from Engelberg the other week, has been out to Andermat. But here's a, a question: So we're in lockdown now, um, in December, uh, the lockdown, is meant to end. What do you think, Katie? Do you think French resorts are going to open in December as planned? That the, the first potential weekend is the fourth, fifth of December, I think.
2: Yeah. <sighs> well, this is the thing. I was thinking about this because obviously I've already put it in my diary. <laughs> <laughs> but the, from the last lockdown, like it wasn't just suddenly that everything was open again. We could only travel 100 kilometres outside our home. So uh, that's great for anyone that lives 100 kilometres near a a ski resort. But but I really think they're only going to get like local people and that's it. (laughs) I just I can't imagine that they're going to the macarons going to suddenly go right. Yeah, back to normal. Like you can travel across the whole country. It's surely going to be more gradual than that.
0: Yeah, no no sense of optimism there. What do you think, Ed? Do you think a month is enough time to get on top of this to the level
1: where resorts could open? I, I, I kind of think that they're going to have something in place because my understanding is the money that it's worth to the economy, the French economy, obviously if we're just taking France for, as an example, the money to the French economy is is huge. And then to turn that I know that it's the health and all of this sort of stuff, and obviously there's bigger issues than just how you you know, keep the economy going. But I, I do think that's going to be a big consideration when it comes to shutting the whole of the French Alps, whether they can afford to do it or whether, you know, like we've seen back here and in the news a lot, is how do we learn to live with it? And I think if they just shut the that's it's, it's a really, really big call.
3: Thank yeah, you I mean, I, to, I think,
0: <laughs> yeah, in general, um... Most of the people who have appeared on the Ski Podcast, we're all in the travel industry. We like to go from country to country. And I think we tend to be fairly outward looking and looking for the opportunities to be able to do things like this. You talk about the damage to the economy. The damage to the economy is immense across the board. So whether or not that will make any difference uh, is another another matter. Another question we've covered in previous uh, podcasts, is the British global travel task force. Theoretically they're meant to be reporting in early November and their principal, uh, principal remit is to decide whether or not they can come up with a way of uh, testing to allow uh, travel because currently if we were allowed to travel you'd have a 14-day quarantine on your return to the UK and the idea is that you can have a test uh, probably just after you get back To the uk and that could reduce quarantine to uh, seven days however it's also been suggested that you can have a test before you leave the country so let's say you were skiing in france have a test before you leave france and then a test on return to the uk and cut that quarantine down to maybe three days or something like that and that would be that would be tremendous uh and um katie i noticed on twitter you shared a an article this morning talking about, uh, I think, it was the Savoir buying a, a very large number of of tests of testing kits.
2: Yeah, for, for it's mostly for people working in resorts, just so that people come to visit um, feel safer. But I mean, I can see this happening in all all countries where they, you know, have this <laughs> going to have this issue. So it seems like the obvious thing to do, really.
0: Yeah, I think I saw an article somewhere saying uh, someone had asked Valdezir whether or not it would be possible to get tests in resort. And uh, they confirmed that they're looking at setting ways up so that you'd be able to get a test in resort, maybe for your own, simply for your own um, knowledge. If you are uh, having any symptoms, you want to be able to do it. Got any thoughts on the quarantine
1: side of things, Ed? Uh, I think the rapid tests that they are now rolling out through. Of continental Europe are going to be game changers in terms of travel. Uh, I know from the ski racing side of it, the World Cup tour, they have um, before you turn up to each World Cup, you have to have had a negative test within, I think it's the last 24, could be 48, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but you have to have a clear test before you're allowed to come up and into the World Cup bubble, if you like. Um, So, uh, yeah, and they're setting up tests or, or places to get tests that are going to be you know they turn around those results in I think it's like 20 minutes or something so I think that becomes yeah. a game changer I mean it's just us yeah. back here that are waiting two weeks.
0: Yeah exactly well let's hope that that um, will happen you know I, I constantly on the podcast I seem to remain optimistic and um, often it seems to be uh, despite the, uh, the evidence that's in front of us but um, I'm pretty sure We'll get some skiing in, but when that skiing is going to start is another is another matter. Uh, but on a positive note, people have been skiing. Um, and this is Charlie Reese. He sent us in this snow report from Andermatt, where he went uh, last weekend.
3: Hi, all. This is Charlie. Hope you're well. Uh, this week, I bring you a short report from Andermatt in Switzerland. The resort opened for early season skiing on Saturday, the 31st of October, with only the Gemstock side of the resort open, operating 3 lifts and about 10 kilometers of pisted skiing. The resort has had significant quantities of snow for October, with a base of about 180 centimeters at the top of the mountain, which is just shy of 3000 meters above sea level. Regarding the coronavirus, there have been a few updates since the last report. On the 29th of October, the Swiss government announced further measures. These updates have limited private gatherings amongst friends and family to no more than 10 people, and also limited public gatherings that take place in public spaces to no more than 50 people. Additionally, the face mask rule has been tightened to be essential indoors in all settings and also in busy public spaces outdoors. So this now includes tea bars and chairlifts while skiing. Given the recent news from France, Italy and Austria, skiing feels on a bit of a knife edge at the minute and it's a bit tenuous to say it might be continuing for the next few months. However, Andermat has implemented a number of procedures to hopefully make seeing secure and safe for at least the near future. Firstly, the resort has a limit of a 1,000 people per day on the mountain, and additionally you must book your cable car slot for the first lift up in the morning before arriving at the cable car station. 45 people are allowed in the cable car at any one time, and you receive a text message just before you're due to board telling you that you may join the queue. This also applies to the lift down, so it's worth bearing in mind if you have to leave at a specific time. And as far as I can see, slots were released up to a week in advance. So looking forward to the main season, it's probably going to be essential that you book early. However, several cantons in Switzerland have also started to tighten up their regulations beyond what the federal government has suggested. So it's probably a fairly safe bet to say that skiing is not going to be much of an option in the coming months. But I think later in the winter when there's more snow and more options for uplift so we can spread people out more evenly across the ski resort, the model that Andermatt has shown really might provide the answer to at least getting some skiing in some relative normality this winter. But anyway, that's all from me. Hope you manage to stay fit and well during the next few weeks and uh, wishing you all the best from Switzerland.
0: Uh, Thanks to Charlie for that. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to go out to Switzerland myself uh, during the course of the winter. But um, depending how things go, you might hear from Charlie again during the course of this winter. And Alex, who was on the uh, podcast episode sixty-one last time round, he mentioned to us that he was going to go over to Team. He sent us this uh, this short snow report from Team.
4: Hi Ian, this is Alex from One Hundred and Fifty Days of the Winter with my snow report from Team on the twentieth of October. After a week's delay, I finally made it to teen with a forecast of a 50-50 chance of sunshine. The good news was the snow on the glacier was the best I've ever seen. The, the bad news, I couldn't see anything as it was blowing a blizzard, so much so that the gondola was closed and only the lower slopes were open. Even the hardcore ski races, the cross-country skiers and ski tourers, didn't really make it past one o'clock before they all headed down the hill for my first time back on skis since the tibial plateau fracture ended my season just before lockdown in March I took things very carefully and thankfully finished with all my limbs intact despite the howling winds and zero visibility I would highly recommend a visit if only Macron hadn't thrown a covid lockdown spanner in the works None of the early opening French ski resorts like Tine or Valteron will now be open until the 1st of December. So until then, this is Alex from 150 Days of Winter for the Ski Podcast. Ciao.
0: And I'm not sure, Ed and Katie, if you had the chance to listen to that, but he he did go to ski to Tine. It was the last day and it was a complete whiteout. He had really good snow, but he couldn't see anything at all. But at least he got some skiing in. Um, Alex does live in Courcheval, and that uh, leads us uh, onto the World Cup because Courcheval is due to host a, a ladies' uh, World Cup race in December, as is uh, uh, Val Um But let's start off by saying I noticed that um, uh, Lech were due to hold uh, a race, and they've already deferred that. It was going to be going on next weekend, I think. And snow conditions mean that they're shifting that to to later in November. Was that a surprise? It was very early on to schedule a race.
1: Um, Well, we've had the opening World Cup of the season already, which was up in Solden in Austria. But that's up on the glacier. So they got that one away, I think, a couple of weeks ago, which is always the curtain raiser. Um, This Lech Zurs race has been a new addition to the calendar. It's supposed to be a parallel race head to head men's and women's race on uh, a week Friday, so the 13th and 14th. Yeah, they shifted it back a fortnight. Um, I think it was probably a little optimistic to try and get it in that early. But yeah, it's just a bit warm on the ground. I was chatting to uh, one of the Austrian team coaches yesterday on the podcast, and he was saying that um, he it's just been a tiny bit warm. And I think it's due to be warm in Austria for the next week or so. and then uh, And they're obviously hoping for some cooler conditions. But at the moment, it's still... A little warm
0: okay so that's the uh, you know the initial events and obviously with Val Air, they announced yesterday I think that the uh, Criterium de premier Neige uh, events and they're going to have men's events and women's events over a couple of weekends lots of racing going on they're going to be behind closed doors which made me laugh because I'm kind of thinking can you really do a uh, World Cup race <laughs> behind closed doors Sure <laughs> if you're standing on the mountain you're actually going to be able to see it
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, closed thoughts. I think that's one of those that they, basically all they're doing is they've planned to have no fans. So there's no um, stadium tickets available. There's no stadiums. There's no um, organised sort of sponsor events that they would normally have throughout the whole of the World Cup season. Um, So basically what they're saying is, Obviously, if you're there and the World Cup's there, they can't stop you coming and standing by the side of it, watching what's going on. But they're not actually sort of selling tickets like they would do. So it's going to be a slightly different feel to the season. We had the um, head of the men's World Cup, and he said that they spent a lot of time trying to plan all this stuff in. And he said if they, if we get through half of the season, and all of a sudden there, you know, stuff changes. For, let's fingers crossed that it does. Then they can add fans in. But the whole of the winter, they've they've planned. To have without sort of these ticketed spectator. Okay, so it. even
0: before Valdéser had announced this, this was essentially the plan for World Cup racing this winter,
1: anyway. Yeah, they made the they made the call back in. When did I speak to him? Would have been mid October, no, early October, maybe. That they, yeah. So that had been the plan from the outset. They've had they em- Fizz employed a COVID expert, and they'd because they cancelled all the North America trips that are supposed. You normally. The yeah. first races are, or some of the first races are over in Canada and then in America. And that got pulled, the pin got pulled on that, I think in September, just because obviously that amount of travel is just not, was highly unlikely. And obviously it's turned out to be the absolute correct decision. So in relation to, to the athletes themselves,
0: mm-hmm. then are there restrictions on their ability to travel? Will all of the skiers be
1: able to be at each race they want to? So how physical? Fis- have done it. They're doing these tests before every single World Cup, and, and the, the calendar has changed from the normal calendar to the COVID calendar. And basically, they've just tried to limit the amount of long distance travel that they're doing, uh, and they're also trying to split. Because in in World Cup, I'm sure lots of listeners already know, but you you have your tech events, which are more slalom and giant slalom, and then you have your speed events, which are um, super G and downhill, and they tend to be skied by different athletes not always always, but tend to and so they tried to keep those tours separate as well so you're really limiting the amount of crossover you have between not only men's and women's but tech and speed athletes so they've tried to sort of make the calendar as separated as possible Um, but yeah there's tests before every one if you bring back a positive test you're not allowed to race Um, and I think that goes for anyone within your direct coaching team so if one of your coaches has it i don't think you're allowed to travel until you've produced a, a a clear test um so it's going to be quite tricky and obviously the implications of that is you know in january as an example there, i think there are nine slaloms which is pretty unheard of in terms of the they, they've compacted stuff obviously because if they're in one resort they're going to try and get a few more races off than normally where you just bounce from resort to resort so they're, they're obviously trying to limit the amount of travel but if you have a positive test, that means then you can't race for. At the moment, I think it's ten days or so, or you get another test in a few days' time after that until you produce this clear test. But it means that you could miss sort of four or five races, which that's half a that's half a slalom calendar if you if you're Dave riding.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's a challenge in itself. What about training at the moment? How are Oof. athletes uh, going about their training? I met Dave riding out in. Sasfe in the summer and i think he told me at the time he was planning to base himself there the whole time i'm thinking sas Fay is probably still open but what's the situation with italian i think austrian resorts are closed but maybe you can still train there if you're a racer
1: yeah so i think most again sort of continental europe are, are taking a similar stance to um to professional sports so if you're a professional athlete you are allowed to continue to train um, but the the what's tricky with that is because obviously there's no tourism a lot of the resorts aren't open um, so you've got athletes that are allowed to train and the Brits are uh, grouped in with that and you know, so they're allowed to be out skiing in, in Austria and, and the likes at the moment but to find a resort that's open that's got space that other ski teams aren't already at it's been really really tricky so yeah they're allowed to ski at the moment but, but there's nowhere open
0: right okay and they're allowed to ski so they'd have to use
1: skidoos to get themselves back to yeah the,
0: the slope every time
1: yeah so some i mean it depends luckily in, in places like austria they're you know, it's not sort of similar to France and a lot of it isn't similar to France. We have these huge, great big infrastructures of of ski lifts and connectivity and stuff like that. And Austria tends to have, um, you know, a few more sort of single Hill runs with a T bar or a Palmer or something like that. And a bit more isolated in terms of that. So in theory it's, it's, it's easier. So some of those are open, but yeah, a lot of the time they're, they're skiing up on skidoos and organizing that themselves. Um, but yeah, like I said, because there are not many places open, you're bottlenecking all these athletes into yeah. only a few little places. So that's another sort of hurdle.
5: Yeah, because when I went
0: uh, out to in Zerma and Saspe in July, uh, really lucky to get that window in and most of the people up there there were very very few recreational skiers most of the people up there were uh, racers maybe not necessarily professionals a lot of the uh, the youth teams who were racing uh, as well but yeah. they all reserve a particular run a particular uh, a piece on the mountain yeah. there. a lane there you go thanks for the terminology <laughs> a particular lane on the mountain and you've got to book those a long way in advance haven't you
1: yeah so i mean it, it some of the, the people that are based there in, in these resorts, if you're based in Sassafé and use it a lot, obviously you have a relationship with the piece chef who, because um, basically it's down to them so that they can sort of dish out slots as, as you like. You go to these, normally you go to these, the coaches meetings, which you, oh, in, if you're not in resort, obviously you tell them that you're coming and that the first day you want to do giant slalom as an example. And then at the end of the first day you come up to the coaches meeting uh, where they're, it's a, a sort of Auction, I mean, not for money, but it's like a little auction in terms of you've got all the coaches standing around, you've got the peace chef in the middle of it, and he's shouting out who's you know who wants to do what. And you've got to try and make your voice heard in the middle of this melee, saying, Yeah, I want to do giant slalom, and there's like 50 other people that are trying to get in front of you to get this lane. Um, but yeah, it's it's, the glaciers normally are very full in the summers because obviously there's limited space in Europe that you can ski all year round. And so places like Sasfe and Zermatt tend to be the best ones for summer skiing. Um, and they are, you maybe get three meters across uh, in terms of the space that you get. So if you can picture a sort of giant slalom course set that's going swinging from left to right, it's not like you get a three meter sort of wide part. Every single course has to follow the same angle because you've got every single left turn is like three metres apart. Then every single right turn is three metres apart. So you've got all of these different teams sort of snaking down next to each other. So it's uh, they do cram you in normally. But obviously, because we're not travelling, a lot of teams will go down, you know, the Americans or the Brits or, you know, the Austrians will head down to South America or uh, down to New Zealand or something like that. And in a normal summer, that's taking a lot of traffic away from the, the glaciers and stuff. But now because obviously we're not doing these big travels. You've got every single person that would normally be from a racist perspective down in South America or Argentina or whatever, and uh, now fighting for, for a tiny patch of snow in the, uh, in the Swiss Alps.
0: Yeah. And, and the type of training that you can do must be limited as well. Cause I would guess there's a kind of periodization when I saw dave riding in july he said he was specifically working on technique because i mentioned that the lane he was in seemed very short now presumably as it gets nearer and nearer to the season then you start to do longer descents closer to what you were doing racing
1: yeah and also but also on the flip side of that is obviously up in sasve as an example again you're you're at three and a half thousand meters or three four or whatever the top of it is yeah the three six um so the altitude side of that is obviously putting a lot of strain on you. You can only ski half a day, which is a, all you ever really do as a racer anyway, whether it's midwinter or, or the height of summer. Um so yeah, he, he'll like through the summer you do the beginning part of the summer you re, you're very much making technical changes because in the winter normally it's so thick and fast that you don't really have time to train. It's just maintenance through the summer, through the winter. So the summer is where you make the bulk of your changes. So uh, for somebody like Dave, who was a slalom skier, it's not as much of a headache. But for the downhillers and the speed guys, yeah. again, that would normally be have to be down in the southern hemisphere because you get the length that you just don't get on the glaciers. It's uh, it's a big adaptation for them. Leading into what is, you know, we're only we're less than eighteen months out from the Olympic Games. Uh, these guys, and you can qualify for the Olympic Games from now so you've kind of got a lot of a lot of pressure added pressure on this season yeah for sure so if we
0: were some, to summarize then for this world cup season essentially it will go ahead I mean it's already started and um, there are going to be some changes in that it's behind closed doors it's possible that um athletes might have to drop out if they have uh, you know, a positive test and they might miss some uh, racing and maybe some won't be able to uh, travel, but it, but, you know, it will go ahead. And I think there's a world championships uh, this Cortina. winter as well in Cortina. That's in yeah. February time, is it?
1: Yeah. February. Yeah. So it's, it's um yeah, the season from an athlete's perspective is going to be very different. Um, from a spectator's perspective, looking at the TV, it should be relatively similar because and that's something that Fizz have worked really hard on. The fact that yes, we're making adaptations in the timetable and schedules, and the fact that we haven't got um, fans on the ground, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't look as you know bells and whistles as normal. It's from a TV perspective, it it will still be the same apart from you just don't see grandstands of people in the finishing yeah. or, or medal you,
0: ceremony. You, you mentioned bells and whistles. I've been watching football and cricket on TV <laughs> where they've got editors who, uh, who are putting in the sound of the crowd. Uh, do, do you think that there'll be an editor for the skiing where they insert the sound of cowbells oh, in the
1: background and the uh, crowd cheering? Yeah, you can't have Wengen without cowbells. It's, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right well we'll see about that one thanks for that Ed really interesting uh insight there and uh, we'll soon find out uh, or we'll find out soon enough what's going to be going ahead now um we have discussed on the uh on the podcast before about uh, ski touring several times and a couple of listeners contacted me to see if they could find out a bit more so I had a chat with uh, Mark Seaton who is a a Qualified guy based out in Chamonix, does work with uh, Ski Weekend, and let's just have a listen to that. Hi there, uh, today I'm uh, with Mark Seaton, who is a mountain guide in Chamonix. Hi Mark, how are you? Hi, I'm good. good. You're good. Like us, I believe that currently you're in uh, in lockdown, but you are lucky enough to be in a wonderful place in, in Chamonix. Uh, how long have you lived out there, Mark?
5: I've lived out here nearly 30 years working full time as a guide. Both summer summer. Right.
0: Working as a guide the whole time uh, during that. So, is it? I'm trying to remember the uh, the initials. Is it uh, UIAGM or something like that? That's the, that the... correct.
5: Yeah. No, a yeah. GM so... Mountain Guide.
0: Right. Okay. And so, you live out there, and uh, during the course of the winter, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you is we've seen in a lot of the conversations we've had recently, that ski touring really looks like it's, I mean, it is undoubtedly a growing trend. I saw some stats from Ellis Brigham the other day saying that equipment sales are going up, more and more people are interested in trying it, resorts are putting in a lot of places. I mean, have you personally noticed that? I mean, I know you're a guy, but do you see more interest in ski touring?
5: Yeah, it's been a huge increase in it, really. I mean, I think, The, the, the ski industry has seemed to plateau uh, in terms of gear sold, but within that niche, uh, there's just been an explosion in ski touring equipment, really.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen that, um, although, Elizabeth Brigham mentioned it, in, over in the States where they, you know, they sell a lot more equipment anyway, they release some figures every year from the SIA. And that shows, as you say, that ski touring equipment sells. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, I've started, doing a lot more ski touring over the last few seasons and you learn very quickly that it actually helps to have quite good equipment when you're going uphill. You know, the lighter, the better. Um, I don't actually own any myself, but when I go to the hire shop, I'm trying to make sure they don't fog me off on the thing. It does help, doesn't it, to have good kit? Oh,
5: absolutely, yeah, Like all these things, you know, good kit is, is the foundation of it all, really. But you know, also, the, in Chamonix, they've started making peace specifically for going uphill
0: um, have they okay right
5: which is quite incredible uh, you know which you know mirrors the explosion of what we're talking about
0: yeah whereabouts are those in Chamonix? So
5: there's one in at uh, le grand monte which has been yeah. cut up through the the forest and its signpost and that's purely for going up um, and that's uh, but they're, they're all over the place I mean most resorts now will have a an uphill uh, ski touring piece.
0: Yeah. That's certainly the case. It, 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 you know, a number of those I, I've tried over the last few seasons. I've been in uh, in Courcheval where they got one in 1650 and then 1300 up to 1850. I also uh, did it in ax um, in the uh, Pyrenees. Um, I'm hoping we'll see what happens this winter to go to Cromontana. Um, yeah. In terms of in terms of Chamonix, I know that you work very closely uh, with Ski Weekend, uh, and they have clients going out to Chamonix for for ski weekends who often are looking to go touring and they would go out with you. But I think I'm right in saying that um, they wouldn't necessarily do that ski touring in Chamonix itself. You would maybe take them away from the uh, the, the crowds, so to speak, a little bit.
5: Yeah. Well, Chamonix very much a hub you can be in so many different places so quickly um with a number tunnel you can be through in italy and so it's really a question of, of, of picking where the best conditions are on the day and going to where those conditions are um, it's very sort of ephemeral in really, the snow it changes all the time and, and being able to read where it's good and where it's you're going to get the best skiing does require local knowledge.
0: Well, having lived there for 30 years, I'm pretty sure you've got that. I think, you know, we were saying, you know, within 30 minutes, there's a lot of different areas, other resorts. effectively you can access. Because one of the things that people are looking for when they go ski touring is being able to find that untracked snow. And I think Chamonix can be quite difficult in the main areas to find that. Right.
5: Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, a lot of it is about going to the the type of resorts that you'd never actually hear of. Uh, The sort of resorts, you phone them up in the morning and you say, what time are you opening? And they say, well, what time can you be there? You you know, you can have these resorts to yourself uh, and that is where you're going to find the best snow
0: right yeah well that that is the inside information i do recall a couple of years ago i was in um, la grave and we were looking to you know to do some good off-piece skiing in La grave and the snow just wasn't good enough and the guide took us i think we drove about 10 minutes or something around the corner to this resort that had two lifts and went up you know one of the lifts and then just walked and skied after that it was it was just brilliant
5: yeah that's absolutely what it's about really
0: Yeah, I think another reason ski touring may be even more popular this season is because people are looking to have some social distancing and that's almost guaranteed with ski touring. Typically, you might take a lift up to your uh, starting point. But I think this year, if people are trying to avoid that, are there other ways of still being able to go ski touring without ending up in a gondola with people?
5: Yeah, you can go, you can just take the car to the to the roadhead, and if you if you drive up uh, quite high some of the roads some of the cols will go up to sort of 1800 meters i mean the classic being the the, the grand st bernard and and skinning up to the to the grand st bernard monastery which is famous for its for its dogs um which you know everybody's heard of and, yeah. and that means you can go buy car get out of the car and set up up the hill without having to deal with anybody else at all.
0: Yeah, well, I think social distancing can be guaranteed, but one of the advantages, as you say, if you can if you can get really close and know the right places uh, to go. Uh, possibly another reason I think that ski touring um, could be more popular this winter, and this might be my own interpretation of it, but we're both in lockdown uh, at the moment and i think that uh, in lockdown people have learned to appreciate nature much more than previously and when you're ski touring one of the things i really love about it is you're often skinning through a forest it's quiet you might see some deer or something do you think that connection to nature is a factor
5: definitely and and i also think if you can actually go on a ski tour and see virtually nobody all day, you, you come back feeling as if you have had a result. Um, that 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 idea of doing it on your own and being a pioneer is something that uh, is very attractive.
0: It is, yeah, for sure, and um, and yeah, that's one of the reasons that probably it's uh, it's more and more popular. So from Chamonix itself, if someone was going with with whiskey weekend out there for a short trip what what kind of i know we're saying you're not necessarily uh, going to specific resorts and i know you definitely don't want to reveal your secret uh, spots <laughs> but how far might people be you know driving before they you know start getting onto the mountain
5: uh, half an hour 40 minutes
0: yeah, half an hour, forty minutes, and there's lots of spots within that. Sometimes through the tunnel, would you be going? Yes, yeah, I mean, the
5: the thing about Chamonix is is that it, it it's often affected by this wind called the fern. Yes, is, is if you see if you see the fern on the forecast, you, you you know that you're going to have a horrible time skiing in Chamonix because it just wrecks the snow because it's a warm um, it's a warm wind that uh, acts like a giant hairdryer and it just sort of evaporates all the snow and you get gray skies. But if you go through the Mont Blanc tunnel, you get a completely different weather system and dramatically different temperatures. And and often you can have the fern blowing in, in, in Chamonix. You go through the tunnel and it is snowing like mad and it's 20 degrees colder. Right,
0: okay. That's all part of the the local knowledge and being aware of those uh, sort of things and being uh, aware of where you can track. Well, I hope that, as we all do, this winter uh, does go ahead at some point. You know, I keep remaining optimistic uh, about these uh, things, so we'll see what happens over the next month. We're recording on the 2nd of uh, November today today. Uh, In an ideal world, everything will open up in December and we'll have a relatively new normal winter. And if we do, I hope to be able to come out to Chamonix to meet you in person, Mark. But otherwise, thank you very much for your time today.
5: Okay, thank you.
0: And Mark gave us a good insight into it there Uh, in the Chamonix area. You might be familiar with some of the... uh, well, the routes he mentioned, he didn't go into too many details, Katie, because he didn't want to give away any of his secret uh, stashes.
2: Give away the routes that people don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was talking about you know, getting away from the crowds mm-hmm. in thirty minutes of uh, Chamonix. I mean, you you mentioned before that you were ski touring um, above uh, Solange, I think. Uh, you yeah, said
2: and that's the first time I've done that, and I was just like, why have I not done this before? There's yeah. a few people, a few people that come up from Geneva. Um, few people taking their dogs up the mountain and just the snow was really nice uh I was just like it was just as epic as you'd imagine in Chamonix uh yeah it was crazy why have I not done that Yeah. Before?
0: and so did you drive up um to the the top point of the road and then tour from there
2: yeah we sort of walked in our boots for a little bit and then that was it really you get into sort of nice plain open flat bit like a valley for a while and then up so it was really nice
0: Yeah, well, I think one of the key points about touring is that, you know, for this winter, uh, you don't have to take any lifts. So you don't have to worry about being in uh, a lift with other people. And you get uh, a a bit of, you know, social distancing guaranteed on the mountain. You can enjoy uh, nature. Uh, Ed, Ed, I I know you're used to going downhill very fast. Do you ever go uphill very slow or slow? Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, very very slow. Normally, (laughs) if I ever go uphill um I do I haven't done an awful lot my sort of time on my touring equipment has been very very limited but the 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 few times I have done it I really enjoyed it I really like the fact that you're you know the mountains are picturesque and sort of they're just so imposing aren't they and then to have nobody around you whilst sort of enjoying that is kind of I don't know it's 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 awesome it's an awesome feeling and, and I always say I must do more it's just you know what it's like with trying to fit stuff in your diary it can be quite true. yeah
0: yeah for sure yeah. I mean it's become part of uh well every trip uh, uh for me uh just now ski touring side of things and um, out of interest I did contact uh Ellis Brigham and spoke to uh, or got an email from to be more accurate Steve Wells who's their hardware buyer he wouldn't give many numbers but he did tell me that their uh, ski touring equipment sales have gone up significantly over the last uh, few years mm-hmm. so that trend that trend is being backed up I think you know if we look at sales of alpine skis they've kind of plateaued or maybe even gone down slightly in terms of ski touring equipment it's definitely uh, on the way up so I am hoping to go ski touring myself in Scotland uh, in January. Uh, and with that in mind, I managed to get in contact with the uh, the CEO of Snow Sports Scotland, uh, Trafford Wilson. And we had a little chat earlier this week. I'm delighted to be joined today by uh, Trafford Wilson, who's the CEO for Snow Sports Scotland. How are you, Trafford?
6: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Great. I take it you're in Scotland at the moment, are you? I'm in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, excellent. So Scotland is definitely going to be of interest to a lot of British skiers this year. That's a general sense because of all the travel restrictions in relation to Europe. Is that something you're anticipating at Snow Sports Scotland?
6: Yes, it absolutely is, Ian. Um, we've, we've been in contact with a number of resorts over the last few months who have seen a real surge in terms of mountain biking trade uh, in Scotland. And we believe it's because people are either not comfortable travelling at the moment due to COVID or quite frankly, they're just not permitted to travel. So they're getting their fix in Scotland itself. And we're very hopeful that that translates into a stronger winter season.
0: Right. So already you're seeing and and through the summer months, I guess you saw an increase in the number of of mountain bikers. And it seems to me perhaps inevitable that there will be an increase uh, in skiers for this winter. Certainly, there's not a lot of positivity in relation to skiing in Europe. Currently, we're recording this on the 3rd of November and we're about to start lockdown in the in England uh, and uh, they already have lockdown in, in France and Austria. So we'll see about that. But with that in mind then, Trafford, if you're thinking about more people coming to the Scottish resorts this winter, can we expect to see any changes uh, in resort? relation to how tickets are bought and operationally this winter
6: yeah absolutely there's a safety video that's going to be posted later this week actually and it it talks about the key steps that mountain resorts have taken to prepare for the winter season ahead so sort of the key things that are in that include paying contactless booking online Um, there's been enhanced cleaning routines there's encouragement around wearing masks or buffs um, in areas where you can't socially distance etc so that those precautions, I guess, are all in play. Um, snow sports has been happening uh, or operating uh, as early as July, and that's through our artificial slope network. So there's been some learnings that have been taken through artificial slopes around how they run their business, which we've, of course, encouraged our mountain resorts to consider as well. Um, so, look, I, I think in terms of the season ahead, we're up for it, we're ready, um, and we're hopeful the snow does what it needs to do and we can see a lot of um, happening in in scotland this coming season
0: yeah certainly um we'll come to the snow later that's interesting about the artificial uh, slopes because i think one of the you'll be looking to encourage people to buy tickets in advance and i think we saw i don't know if you noticed last weekend when Chavinia in italy opened it might have been two weekends ago now uh, they didn't really anticipate how many people were going to come along, and they hadn't encouraged people to buy in advance, and they ended up with long ticket queues for the uh, for the office. So buying tickets in advance would be uh, a key factor in that, would it?
6: Yeah, of course, it helps. Um, you know, allow I guess the resorts to have the right level of staffing um, available. Um, I, I think the, the big thing in terms of skiing in Scotland is we we know that our weekends are usually busy. Um, you know, and that's that's where most of the trade comes for the resorts themselves. Midweek, less so. And I think if if there's um, interest in people coming midweek, um, hopefully booking in advance allows the staffing to be right and for people to um, hopefully get as much time in the snow as they possibly can. So, sure the, that, that, that planning helps.
0: That makes sense. And what about um, capacity and, and potentially capping? I mean, I guess this would apply at weekends. In America, we've seen that some resorts will definitely be having some kind of a capacity. European resorts have not um, said anything about doing that. Have you? Do you have any views on that for the Scottish resorts?
6: Well, at the moment, the Scottish government have been um, imposed or proposed or um, imposed, I guess, restrictions on how many people can go up um, to each of the mountains. The mountain resorts themselves are open um, in, in terms of taking, taking in visitors, and I think it's something they'll just have to watch and learn from. Um, as the season plays through. Um, of course, like I mentioned, there's going to be your high peak times and weekends, um, so we'll yeah. need to watch that very closely. Um, but equally, you know, if there's, there's midweek skiing, um, again, we'll just have to watch how people look to consume skiing in Scotland this year.
0: Yeah. And sorry, just to clarify there, are you saying that the government have already given some guidelines in terms of capacity?
6: No, they haven't. They They haven't entered that space at all. So the mountain resorts um, will will basically be looking to manage numbers themselves uh, throughout the season.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that you have a video coming out later this week that's going to yeah. outline some of the measures in place. What kind of measures can we expect to see in Scottish resorts this winter?
6: It's more your, your common sense stuff there. So um mentioned earlier, paying contactless, we where, where um, you're able to do that, um, booking online, as, as we've covered off, Already um, enhanced cleaning, um, yeah, wearing face masks or bus where you, where you can't socially distance. Um, the other notion of if you live together, you can ride together, um, will, will sort of be encouraged as much as possible. So, those are yeah. sort of the core things that, that um, Mount Resorts are, are looking to consistently um, focus on, if you like, for the season here. And might we see also um,
0: temperature checks prior to taking a, a lift?
6: In some cases, yes. Uh, I don't it's range, it's you know, With their gondola system, they're going to be doing uh, temperature checks when people jump on their gondolas, and they're also going to be doing temperature checks when you jump back off and on your way back down. So quite a thorough regime there. Um, that's because I've, they've got their closed environments. Um, yeah. The rest of the mountain resorts, with the vernacular, particularly out in, in terms of Ken Gorm at the moment, I don't think you'll be seeing temperature checks um, on the uplift because it's an outdoor environment. Um, yes. Yeah. spacing um measures that will be followed as well
0: yeah so that's specific to nevis range i think i had read that somewhere so so interesting would you uh, another uh, idea that i've uh, come across really perhaps you know relates to what you can expect from a skiing holiday in scotland but that people plan a holiday overall in scotland rather than a A ski holiday per se because if you're coming for perhaps a a week then there are lots of other things and maybe you need to be prepared to you know include within your itinerary a, a visit to a distillery or some mountain biking or hiking or something like that is that something that you you see for visitors who are looking to come for maybe a longer trip
6: i'd encourage you know if you're coming across and you're looking to ski in scotland yeah the weather sometimes isn't your friend um however there are five different resorts to choose from so if you can be flexible in terms of um, jumping in a car and driving a bit further sometimes to be in the right place where the conditions are right, um, you know, that that's definitely a good thing. And you're right, Ian, there's there's some amazing opportunities up in the Highlands. You can go to the Distillery Region, go on some beautiful walks. If you're into mountain biking, you can jump on that. Um, there's some lovely locks to see, amazing castles. There's plenty to enjoy. Um, of course, not forgetting golf and, and all the things that come with that. So. I think it's it's definitely a destination uh, to travel to rather than sort of being one-dimensional skiing only.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm right behind that. I mean, you mentioned the advantage of of having a car to travel between resorts. One of the reasons that Scotland appeals to me is that I'm trying to reduce the amount of uh, flying that I do, and in a trip that I'm trying to plan for January. What's really appealing about going skiing in Scotland to me is that I can travel up there by train, and I've been looking into the Caledonian Sleeper, which they you know, goes from London and will take you up to uh, Inverness on the uh, let's see the east coast, or you can travel up, I think, on the west coast as well, can't you? Yeah. I think that yeah. that to me is another real selling point: the fact that you can travel by train.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and once you're up here as well, you know. Um, jump in a car and it's not a huge amount of driving to go from resort to resort either so get up here i think the train's a good option you can have a kip on on the way if you manage to travel through the night and hopefully wake up in the morning and be skiing.
0: yeah well that's actually part of my plan when i'm looking at it i'm looking at going Leaving overnight from London, arriving kind of early in the morning. You can either get off at Inverness or go through to uh, to Avimore, I think it is. And then after that, you know, get out and do some some exercise in the mountains and the same yep. kind of thing on the way back on that final day. still be able to do some activity and then hop on the train for the evening coming back. So if you can just guarantee the weather for us, Triford, do, <laughs> so? do you think that's something you should do? Yeah, I think so. I'll do my very best. Okay, well, let's hope for some really good snow. And um, I think it will be really interesting to check in with you again as we uh, get nearer to the season uh, to get updates on exactly what is uh, going on. But thank you very much for your time uh, today, Trafford. And we look forward to spending a bit of time skiing in Scotland this winter.
6: Thank you very much for having me on the show, Ian. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, Ed, I take it that you must have skied in Scotland uh, during the course of your uh, career.
1: I've, I've skied a few times um been a couple of times in Glenshire more more often but it's uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to this year I think we might be forced into doing more skiing in Scotland than, uh, than maybe people had planned but it's going to be great for some people to experience some, something that is you know not on their doorstep because it would take me just as much time to get out to the Alps as it does to get up to the north of Scotland but uh, it'll it'll get people excited about skiing on home turf whether we are allowed to get out to the alps or not it's prob- it's almost certainly not going to be as frequent as we would like so you know maybe we have to sneak in the odd the odd long weekend up to up to Scotland it, but the skiing up there i mean it can be very very tricky with, with the weather <laughs> but when it's when it's on point scottish skiing is insane it was stunning i've i've seen both sides of it i've seen you know a torrential downpour and uh, being stood on the on the mountainside in torrential rain, uh, with it then shifting to snow and ice and being the coldest I've ever been on a set of skis. And that includes being in, uh, in Canada in minus 40 um, uh, to, to just this beautiful blue sky sunshine days that, you, you know, you could be in the middle of the, the Swiss Alps easily.
0: Yeah I think one of the things Trafford was suggesting or pointing out is that uh, you know the conditions can vary across the five different resorts there so it really is a matter probably and they're all quite close together so basing yourself in one point and then being uh, you know adjustable depending on the uh, on the conditions. What about yourself Katie? Have you ever skied in Scotland at
2: all? Never no (laughs) ironically no.
0: Yeah, well, you know, given that you live quite close to uh, much bigger mountains, I suspect it's unlikely. But for a lot of British people, for this winter, it does look like, uh, you know, Scotland. Well, will certainly be a place that uh, um, you can rely upon uh, getting to. <laughs> Although, even even that's a bit unpredictable with Nicola Sturgeon because she uh, does come up with a, a separate rules for uh, Scotland. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that will uh, come together. Uh, just wanted to mention Ski Book Group. Um, last uh, episode in 61, uh, I covered um, uh, a whole life. I don't know if either of you have come across this uh, particular book, but it's um, a great book about uh, it, just set in an Austrian uh, village uh, in the early 19th century. And one of our listeners, Lucy Edwards, also read the book, and she sent in this review, which I'm, I'm just going to uh, go through. Uh, So she talked about the main character, who's Egger. Egger accepts the harsh brutalities of life, as most men and women of his generation did, surviving childhood beatings, an avalanche that wipes out a village, a highly dangerous job building cable cars and the Second World War. None of these events break him, however, and he moves on with his life each time. The advent of a new age of cable cars is nicely documented. Through the eyes of Egger. we see the changes to a mountain village's way of life, notes that farm buildings that once housed animals now accommodate tourists. And I'll just chip in at this point that um, my mum and dad uh, went skiing in St. Anton uh, when I was much uh, younger. And I went out there a couple of years ago and interviewed. Well, I didn't interview. Well, I wrote an article about it. But I I met the host from the place they stayed, a place called House Falk in St. Anton. And it turns out that um, Richard Falk, who was their ski instructor, was a part-time cowherd, so to speak, and a part-time ski instructor. And all the cows lived in the, uh, the ground level of the of House Falch, this uh, pension where they were staying, and uh, you know the guests lived on the uh, on the first floor and effectively it worked like central heating. All the cows in there during the winter, kept the whole place nice and warm. so literally what she's talking about in the book there right, you know happens uh, happened in real life. Uh, she also says, um, I'd have perhaps liked to heard his voice. Uh, maybe in the short novella format, this dialogue wasn't possible. In any case, the charm of the book lies in its powerful descriptions, especially of the mountain landscape. It's a good read for anyone who loves Central Europe and the mountains in summer and winter. So I really appreciate that, uh, uh, Lucy. And if anyone else wants to send in their reviews, they're very welcome. And uh, Ed and uh, Katie, if you're looking for a, a good book, uh, can recommend A Whole Life. Uh, I'm also going to mention another book which is called uh, Fjord Mountain Mission now listener if you're a regular listener to the show and you listen to episode 47 you would know who Fjord is because uh, we had Caroline Elliott on the show who works out in uh, Artoust in the uh, French Pyrenees and uh, Fjord was her search and rescue dog and we had a whole discussion about uh, avalanche dogs uh, etc and she's putting together this children's snow safety book and uh, is currently crowdfunding and she's getting quite close to it so I'm going to put a link into the show notes oh I see Chemi Alcott donated 20 pounds nine days ago uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to help that book uh, get on the go uh, it's called uh, Fjord Mountain Mission M- mission, excuse me uh, otherwise i um, like to thank Mike Powell from Snowheads. He said another great listen for the last podcast. Andrew Brannan said he enjoyed the most recent podcast, finding uh, the info uh, very useful. And uh, as far as the next episode uh, of the podcast is concerned, my guess is we'll be talking about whether or not the season will go ahead. That will be in about two weeks' time, so we'll be getting closer. Um, we'll probably be reporting on... Uh, the world cup that lech event perhaps uh, as that goes on and we'll have some other interviews as well so uh, please if you listen if you've enjoyed the podcast please uh, subscribe share and and you can contact with us on social media at twitter and facebook we are at the ski podcast uh, you can follow me at uh, skipedia and i'd like to thank my guests for today uh, ed drake from the ski racing podcast and Katie Dartford from Euronews, should we say, Katie?
2: (laughs) Uh, You can say that, you can say that.
0: (laughs) Freelance journalist, watch out for her her post. So thanks, Ed, thanks Katie, and thank you to Switzerland Tourism, and of course, thank you, listener, for uh, listening to us today. hi there listener ian here i just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com researching recording editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time and don't get me wrong i really enjoy it you know i love talking with people about skiing but if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us then you can literally buy me a coffee or in my case it would be a cup of tea, but the idea is the same. So just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.